Welcome to the QB List What We Saw podcast. This is the week five edition. I am Eric Smith, and I'm joined by Ryan Heath, as always, to recap the week's action. Recording this one a little bit earlier this week so I can get out of here and watch this Bengals-Ravens game. So if you want the breakdowns from every single game this weekend, please go to the website, check out our What We Saw article. We've got staff writing every single game in depth on every relevant fantasy option. So please check that out. We're coming here for the quick takeaways. And Ryan, pretty clearly 20 years from now when the scholars look over week five and write this one up, uh, this is either going to be the Gabe Davis week or the Taysom Hill week. So which one are you more excited to talk about here, Ryan? Because these were the most Gabe Davis and Taysom Hill weeks possible. I don't know how it gets any more like them to just from these stat lines. It's exactly how you would draw it up. Yeah, it's it's almost like I can't decide because there's so much to say about both of them, yet almost nothing to say because this is exactly what we should expect, even though we are too scared to project for this before a week actually starts. Gabe Davis catching two touchdowns on three total receptions, only six targets. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, Gabe Davis is going to not be a target magnet, but just get all these long touchdowns and trigger everybody that, was worried about his target share and then Taysom Hill like it, <laughs> nine carries 112 yards and three touchdowns also one of one passing for 22 yards and a passing touchdown leading the tight end position by far in fantasy points so far this week I I don't know what else to say like I if you ask me about Taysom Hill like whether you should pick him up or start him this week I'm probably just gonna block you like, I, <laughs> don't ask me that on Twitter. I, I'm telling you, it'll be, I'll have a quick trigger finger there. <laughs> I think the last week we kind of talked a lot about that Seattle Detroit game and what to make of it. And the answer is to just start everybody against the Seahawks and everybody against the Lions. I mean, Taysom Hill just goes off against that Seattle defense. Uh, yeah, his season defies logic at this point. So I think you have to start him at tight end if you have him. Like, I just, I don't know how you could leave this sitting on your bench anymore. I mean, he outscored the next best tight end by like a full 20 points in PPR scoring this week. So um, it's madness. Gabe Davis, you can understand. Like, this is kind of what we always thought of Gabe Davis. We're not sure the target share he's going to get. I mean, you know, Stefan Diggs, eight catches, 102 yards and a touchdown. Like, that's kind of what we expect to lead this offense. And then, you know, when Gabe Davis can sprinkle in a 98-yard touchdown, he's going to have a good week as well. So I don't know, just one of those weeks where it feels like we've got these role players in the NFL to different extents that are just getting by on hyper-efficiency right now. And it doesn't seem like it's going to stop here, Ryan. We'll see what CEH does on Monday night scoring touchdowns. But like these role players are just being hyper-efficient and apparently they're just going to do it all year. Yeah, I there has the music has to stop at some point. I feel like like I I'm gonna be the guy just sitting on this island like against this tsunami of Taysom Hill touchdowns all year probably. Like I, yeah I it's frustrating, but like it it's what happens. This is fantasy football. It's why we love it so much. Yeah, and that, that again, that's a really bad Seattle defense that you should be starting all running backs against. And Taysom Hill, he's whatever you want him to be. Running back, tight end, quarterback, I don't know. But he was a good start in retrospect. So, yep, another crazy week. Um, Ryan and I focused on a couple games this week. So, Ryan, what do you think? Do you think the people want to hear Pat's Lions to start or Jaguars Texans? Where should we start? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we ended up with like two of the grosser games. We we probably should have planned this out better, a, a, little, a little better before the start. Um, but let's go to Jaguars Texans first, which is the game that you watch. I think the number one question I have about this game is, what do we make of this Jaguars backfield now? 
Yeah, so this was a really frustrating game for the Jaguars offense as a whole. Um, they end up losing to the Texans by a touchdown, 13-6. Uh, to six. Um, Just an abysmal game overall, but I don't know. Travis Etienne looked really good here, Ryan. Like, he was making plays all throughout the game. Really, like, he looked really good in the first half. Second half, um, the, the Jaguars had a long drive where they threw an interception in the red zone, and then the Texans kind of had one of those typical, like, nine-minute drives where they punted that just wiped out the whole game, you know what I mean? So ETN was on his way to a really nice game. He was showing his speed, his cutbacks. Like, they were really using him in creative ways. He basically took over from James Robinson for the most part in this game. Like, he was the back that you would want. He looked like the better back. Like, it just kind of seemed like with lots of, like, read options and outside stuff that was hitting against the the Texans front, like, it just seemed like ETN was the better back for this offense. Robinson just isn't that kind of speed back to the outside. So uh, Robinson got his carries, but, I mean, ETN really blew him out of the water here. I haven't seen the snap counts just yet, but uh, ETN was on the field. It seemed like two to one to Robinson, and it was a really encouraging performance. ETN had two drops, and that's about the only negative from this whole game for him. But um, he showed, you know, five targets, 43 yards receiving, 10 carries, 71 yards. I would be very encouraged by ETN. You know, it's partially the way he wears his uniform, but he kind of looked like Alvin Kamara at times. Like, it was really encouraging if you're an ETN truther here. Yeah, so 40 snaps for ETN and 30 for Robinson. So a, a bit of a lean there for sure. 30 routes run for ETN, only 19 for Robinson, six targets for ETN. I guess my one concern here is these last couple of weeks, we've seen more encouraging performances and usages from ETN. But the question is, is it because the Jaguars have not been leading in these games? Like if next week they go play the Colts and it's a positive game script the whole time, is this just going to flip back to what it was in the first couple of weeks? Like that, that would be my concern. But what do you, do you have any thoughts or any read on that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was six to six at the half, you know, like uh, the Texans didn't score to go up until late in the game. So I felt like the Jaguars could run this offense however they wanted to. I mean, they were not playing from behind or anything until like the last two drives of the game. So I don't know. I will get to the rest of their passing game, but they completely are lacking options that are explosive and can do anything after the catch in the passing game. So ETN sure seems like their best bet there. I know there are going to be games where Robinson gets the ball going downhill, get, like gets that running game going. Like, sure, Robinson's going to have his weeks too. But I really think ETN brings something to the offense that they don't really have, especially when Christian Kirk's kind of getting bracketed with coverage. Yeah, let's talk about the rest of the Jaguars passing game. So I looking at the box score, I see only three targets for Christian Kirk, and that makes me pretty upset. Uh, 11 for Marvin Jones, eight targets for Zay Jones and 10 for Evan Engram. So just kind of general thoughts on this passing game. What did it seem to operate any differently than we've been used to the first few weeks? Um, Obviously Zay Jones just came back from injury. So what going forward, what are your thoughts here? Are are we, were we maybe too quick to call Christian Kirk, like this clear alpha wide receiver one on his team? Yeah, I mean, this was my first real extended look at this Jaguars offense, and it wasn't like a broken offense. Like, they, the running game looked good at times. Um, they were moving the ball. Like, it, they, they passed 47 times. It's not like they were just running it up the middle. I, it was just – there was really nothing to take the top off the defense. It was a lot of short stuff. They're, they got almost nothing to the sidelines. It was all, like, down the seam to either Marvin Jones or Evan Ingram. Like, that was pretty much the whole offense. Um I thought Lawrence looked really good when he was like ripping the ball downfield and, and taking some shots, but they just seemed way too content to 
throw it short, dump it off, kind of just get third and manageables. Like both teams really just felt like they were waiting for the other team to throw a, a pick six or something. So I would like to see them open it up more. I just don't know if it's because they don't have the receivers to do it. Like I said, Kirk was non-existent. Like he did draw a holding on a, th- a third down. So, there, you know, there, there was definitely some coverage towards him and he was soaking it up. But I don't know. Like he was just bracketed on a deep shot that had no chance. Um, you, you could clearly see that they were looking to take Kirk out of the game. And uh, Jaguars just didn't seem that committed to like forcing the ball to him. So I don't know. It, the, the offense... I would not be too discouraged from this performance, but at some point, if you're good offense, you need to light it up on a defense like the Texans. And they certainly did not. They were just too content to take the easy options here and and they need someone to make plays here. Yeah. I don't, I wonder if maybe like the first couple games of the season were a bit of a mirage, like beating up on the commander's secondary. Like it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's a little concerning that they can't just kind of do whatever they want against the Texans. Easily a bottom 10 secondary. Yeah, and I, I will say coming out of the second half, it was 6-6. Jaguars had the ball, marched right down the field. I think it was like second and one at the, I don't know, nine-yard line or something. Uh, Lawrence rolled out on a play action and just threw a really poor interception. He was going for Zay Jones. It got picked off in the end zone. And, again, that was where, like, the Texans took, like, a whole quarter off the clock after that. And it just – the Jaguars never recovered. So, I don't know. Definitely some things that Lawrence could do better here, but they're just playing so slow. You know, uh, Texans were playing two high safeties, just – too content to check it down. And when you do that, you're going to have like, you know, these long drives that result in a field goal and, and you leave yourself vulnerable to an upset here. All right. Well, let's move over to the Texans. And I guess quickly we can talk about the backfield. Um, maybe we don't need to talk about the Texans backfield <laughs> anymore after this week. Cause it, it seems pretty clear that th- this is just the Damian Pierce show uh, ran more routes, had more targets than Rex Burkhead, 26 carries. Like it, are we just done with this? Were, were the Damian Pierce doubters just wrong? Is Am I taking the L? Yeah, I mean, he definitely dominated this backfield. So, yes, I think so. I, You know, it, it's kind of like anything when it's a running back on a poor offense. Like Damian Pierce, 26 carries, 99 yards and a touchdown, three catches for 14. Like he got his touchdown very late in this game. If they're not tied 6-6 in the fourth quarter, does he get that kind of workload? I don't think so. Um, but Pierce looks really good. I mean, he is a physical runner. Um, early on, they're just kind of running him in, into the line like a battering ram, but he's, it, things started to open up later on. He's breaking tackles. He's, you know, catching the ball in, in the passing game too. So yeah, it, it's his backfield. I mean, Burkhead looked fine when he was in the game. So it's not like Burkhead's just giving this away. He had a swing pass, looked kind of good, um, converted a, a first down on a long third down run. But yeah, they've clearly given this to Pierce. He's breaking tackles. He's He's fighting for yards. He's doing really everything they can. So he dropped like an easy check down. Like that was the only knock on Pierce this game. So yes, he looks really good. He's taken over this backfield, but again, like kind of like we say about some of these running backs, like it was still 99 yards and a touchdown. Like it's not like this was, um, this could have been a smash spot and that that's not the biggest outcome you could get, I think here. So just be a little cautious going forward. It's still the Texans offense. Yeah. And that that's where I was heading to next is it, I mean, it's a good thing that Damian Pierce is, is taking over this backfield because Davis Mills is just not getting it done with this offense. I going into the week, he was close to the bottom of like every passing efficiency stat that you could find it from watching him is, does that check out? Like, does it, does it seem like he's this hidden gem that we were kind of hyping him up to be in the off season or did, has he just kind of turned back into a pumpkin? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, 
I watched a few of their games last year, and he looked better last year than what I saw today, where they were taking more shots downfield. He seemed a little confident. Like today, it was all short stuff, all running the ball, you know, just kind of like not even giving him a chance on third downs where they run up the middle on third and long, you know what I mean? And then just kick a field goal. Like they really did not give him a lot of opportunities to do a whole lot here. And, you know, like there was a huge uh, roughing the passer call on the Jaguars on the Texans go ahead drive for a touchdown. Um, It was actually there. Uh, number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker. He jumped off sides and then drew an inexcusable roughing the passer call. Like that kept this game-winning drive going. Um, it was third and 20 at the time, and and Mills was clearly just going to check it down and punt. So that, that's basically the offense they were running. It was the the, the run the ball, check down, punt, play field position offense. Um, even Brandon Cooks, all of his looks were short, close to the line of scrimmage. He was not getting deep shots. So Outside of Nico Collins making a really nice grab on a well underthrown ball from Mills, like that was the explosive play from the passing game. So, yeah, did not see much at all from Mills here. Great. Well, I can stop <laughs> pretending like Davis Mills is a sneaky DFS play every week, yeah. I guess. And yeah, that that'll make my life a little bit easier every Saturday night, I think. Yeah, for sure. He's going to need to be way behind and just chucking the ball here. So I, you can cross him off the list. All right. Well, let's move on to the game that I watched. I watched Pat's Lions. Uh, very good day for me as a Patriots fan. This is, you, you can probably tell this is the most upbeat I've been on one of these What We Saw podcasts for a little bit. Um, but the game started off on a pretty sour note. Uh, on the Patriots' first drive, uh, Hunter Henry was running around against Lions defensive back Xavion Smith, and he just kind of ran into Henry and fell down like it wasn't immediately obvious what the injury was and then you look up and the ambulance is on the field and there's a huge crowd of Lions players his dad apparently came down and got into the ambulance with him they reported later that it was a neck injury but it just really really tough to see that I'm I guess I'm glad that the NFL is taking these head injuries more seriously now but it yeah it just was not a great day as far, far as head injuries go around the league. Teddy Bridgewater also left with concussions. So just yeah. m- more and more reminders of how dangerous this game is that we enjoy so much. Yeah, it's – I am glad that they seem to be recommitting to actually enforcing this policy, but um, it, it's tough to see even if you enforce the policy. Like you said, it's a, it's a dangerous game. So I hope he's doing all right. Um, that's a tough way to start off a game for the rest of the team too. Just I can't imagine going out there and – hitting people and playing hard after seeing a teammate go through that. So I hope he's doing all right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then he w- was not the only defensive back that the Lions lost to injury. By my count, there were three three more at different points in the game that were co- that were coming off and going to the sidelines. So it was def- definitely an opportunity that the Pats should have taken advantage of. And by and large, they did. Um, I, I mean, really, the bigger story for fantasy is probably the running backs. Um, So the Pats came out seemingly very committed to the run. They were running on every first and second down and kind of putting Bailey Zappi into the position where he has to convert like a third and long, but he was actually doing it decent, like a decent amount of the time they were moving the ball. Um, The first couple drives, they were doing their usual thing where Damian Harris takes a full drive. Then Ramon Stevenson takes a full drive. Uh, But then Damian Harris left the game uh, fairly early on, and it was the Ramondre Stevenson show from there on. Uh, he even before Harris left, uh, Ramondre got loose for like a 
nice 50 yard run easily could have been a touchdown, but he tripped a little bit. Um, and then of course, Harris checks back in, in the red zone on that same drive, but ultimately he left the game shortly after that. And Ramondre got to do his thing. Uh, I would say that overall the offense seemed to work better after Harris came out. Um, and not because that's anything against Damian Harris, but it seemed like it made the team less eager to run up the middle on first and 10 on every single set of downs. Uh, that like they were actually throwing a little bit, they would get Ramondre in space, run some screens, just they it forced them to mix it up more, and I think it was good. Yeah. So I, I I would hope that even if Harris is back healthy next week, which we have no idea about, that maybe this causes like an offensive philosophy shift, and maybe Ramondre is more even more usable than he has been. So did this Lions defense look just as much like the unit that we just need to play everybody against? I mean, 25 for 161 for Stevenson. Like, he's had some good weeks, and I don't think that's a shocker that he put that up. But, I mean, yeah. we're <laughs> Anyone with a pulse, I think, at running back, we're playing against the Lions. Yeah, they, they looked exactly how you would expect. It's, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's not uh, – yeah, between them and the Seahawks, it, it's hard to tell which defense is worse, honestly. Um, yeah. But and I mean, even in the, in the passing game, Jacoby Myers got going uh, se- seven uh, catches, eight targets for 111 and a touchdown. Oh, yeah, we got a Jacoby Myers touchdown. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Bailey Zappi was playing really well. I, there, there's a lot of excitement in New England right now around Bailey Zappi. There there really has been the whole week. It's kind of been a drumbeat building. Um, so I don't want to call it a quarterback controversy, but the, just if Mac his struggles like at all in his first game back it, it's things are going to get real interesting up here <laughs> oh that's great i didn't know we were this far so i'm excited for this so bailey's happy 17 to 21 188 a touchdown a pick like is he pretty much i mean realistically is he a lesser version of mac jones a game manager less upside athletically or do you think he can actually push him if especially if mac jones is hobbled and maybe not 100 percent? like is, is, is zappy the better option at this point or is that crazy talk yeah, if I will say if Mac Jones is like, like has that high ankle sprain injury and it is limiting him, then I, I honestly think the team might be better off rolling yeah. Bailey Zappi out there. Like they they play very similarly, just kind kind of taking care of the ball, game managers. Um, I think I said this last week, like that they, they have the same weakness where they'll just stand in the pocket too long if the play doesn't develop immediately and yeah. generally get sacked. Um, but Zappy didn't really make any mistakes. I mean, even the interception was just a, a classic Nelson Aguilar play where <laughs> goes uh, perfect throw, goes off his hands, hit onto his helmet, hits off his helmet, and then directly into the arms of the Lions safety. Okay. So that mercifully, they finally took Nelson Aguilar off the field after that. Uh, we, we got some Tyquan Thornton and we got some Kendrick Bourne. So I, I'm happy about that too, honestly. Um, I, Thornton is probably available in redraft leagues. I I don't think he's probably worth a roster spot, but in dynasty leagues, def, definitely be paying attention to Thornton. Yeah, I mean, Aguilar only played six snaps. Thornton played 26. Uh, Thornton ran 14 routes. That's more than Devontae Parker. So yeah, I guess you got something going there. We'll see. Uh, definitely a dynasty league look though at this point. But Hunter Henry looks like with Johnny Smith out, he's getting all the snaps. He had five targets, which second on the team. So maybe Hunter Henry is a little bit on the map here. I mean, tight end's pretty gross right now. 
Yeah, if Jonu Smith is out, then Henry's on the map just by virtue of him running all the routes. But yeah, it's not nothing I'm getting excited by. Just lo- low-end streamer type of play, kind of like we talked about before this week. Okay. And so on the line side of the ball, I think every show I was on this week, whether it was our podcast or the, the morning live stream with Jeff Burkus, I was like, in the past, this would be red flags here. Jared Goff going into New England against Bill Belichick. Like this is set up for a dud game where we're all thinking we can count on Jared Goff. And sure enough, like, I think we had maybe one fantasy point from him at halftime. Like he really got the garbage yards just to get up to like nine fantasy points, I think. So what did you think of this Lions passing offense in general? Like, are they just missing too many options or is this what we should expect from Jared Goff more consistently? There were a couple things going on here. So one, the Patriots pass rush was actually getting to Goff. He was pressured fairly often. I, I would imagine much more often than he has been so far this year with how good that Lions offensive line is. Uh, so that was definitely a big part of it. And Goff is the type of quarterback where if you pressure him, he will make mistakes. Like he, his play is almost perfectly correlated to how good his protection is. Uh, So that was part of it. Um, His interception was not good. It was very costly, like a really bad throw to the sideline around like the Patriots 10 yard line, just into double coverage. The safety jumped it made, made a really good play, but not like not a good throw. Uh, There was the fumble six uh, just coming from the pressure on the pass rush. Yeah, I mean, he was still stepping up in the pocket, to be fair, and throwing down the field. Like, this isn't like dink and dunk Jared Goff, like some people seem to imagine him as. So I I think he's still viable for fantasy, but we, especially we would want to make sure that it's not a pass rush that is going to get to him too much. Because I, yeah, I think that's really just the very binary nature of Jared Goff is if he's protected, great. If he's not, watch out. Feels like we have a lot of players like that in fantasy this year. Very binary, either good or bad each week. So, um, okay, I think the running game, we can understand why that was a disappointment. I mean, they were down 13 nothing at the half. Like, you're just going to get game scripted out. So I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about Jamal Williams unless I'm missing something. But my eyes are drawn to uh, Josh Reynolds, Amon Ross St. Brown, and TJ Hawkinson for some noteworthy lines here. So what did you think about the rest of this passing game? Yeah, so quickly on the backfield, I will say that even in the first half before the game was out of reach, Craig Reynolds was looking more explosive than Jamal Williams was. Um, okay. I Most of the playing time for Reynolds came when the game was out of reach, and he, he was just kind of running the empty routes in the hurry up. But still worth noting that they're, Jamal Williams is not like a bell cow would swift out or anything. I think we knew that after last week, but that was confirmed. Um then when it comes to the receivers, I this is it doesn't worry me about Amon Ross St. Brown. So he wasn't on the field all that much. He only played or he only ran 16 of the 39 possible routes. But on those routes, he commanded six targets. That's a 37.5% targets per route run. He, okay. He's still getting open. He's still still doing his job. Um, so it it's especially coming out of the bye after next week. I think it's full steam ahead. Amon Ross St. Brown is a fantasy wide receiver one again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Reynolds did get hurt at the very end of the game uh, after a jump ball. So mm-hmm. it, they said it was a knee injury, but we may or may not hear anything about that because of the bye. But just be aware that, that if you've been streaming Josh Reynolds the last couple of weeks, it, it's probably over for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it worked out for a few weeks. So, hey, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to take your profit and move on to the next player. So, yeah. Ryan, I guess I would just like to ask I mean, how are we supposed to manage fantasy rosters when someone like TJ Hawkinson can go from eight receptions for 179 yards and two touchdowns one week to uh, one catch for six yards the next week? Like, I understand that Hawkinson was never that good and we should have never expected that, but. How can we just have such wild swings here? Like it's maddening to try to rank, to try to set lineups, anything. Like there's just no consistency with some of these players. Yeah, I mean, he ran 32 routes. So that my first thought on Hawkinson was he was just invisible for most of the time, obviously. Um, yeah. But so my my initial assumption was, oh, maybe they're keeping him in to block more because of this pass rush. But he still running 32 of a possible 39 routes doesn't seem like that was the issue. He he did get blown up in pass protection at least once by Matt Judon. It would that that might have been the fumble six actually. So may, maybe they won't be asking T.J. Hawkinson to block anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just the nature of the tight end position, right? Like what. I don't, I don't know what else to say to you. Like if you were starting TJ Hawkinson today with any, without any inkling in your mind that this was a likely outcome, like, I I don't know what to say to you. This is kind of what he's been doing for most of the year, aside from last week too. He's been very, very, very invisible aside from like a couple of touchdowns. So yeah, it's, it's tight end. All, All I can do is shrug. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is very few tight ends even scored 10 points this week. So, hey, he didn't. He only cost you 10 points. That's about as bad as it gets at tight end. All yeah. Right. <laughs> Anything else with this offense? Like, it's, it's going to be better, right? We'll get Swift back. We'll have healthy Amon, healthy Amon Ross St. Brown. Or do you think we peaked and it's kind of a back to normal going forward? So I'll say on Swift that the way they very completely went away from Jamal Williams and to Craig Reynolds when they were down is very encouraging to me for as far as DeAndre Swift goes, because that's the DeAndre Swift role, right? And I, if this offense does struggle, I, we know this defense is going to keep struggling, but we, I think we could continue seeing these negative game scripts for the Lions, and that's only good for Swift. And I, I mean, Amonra, as I said, he'll like, he's going to be fine. He's just an insane level of target earning. Like he, he didn't get loose for anything big this week, really. But it, the, the fact that he played so few snaps, but was very like apparently on the television screen for so much is, is encouraging. So I, I, yeah, I don't think the Lions are going to do what they did through the first four weeks, but I think the offense is going to be fine. Okay. Yeah. And Craig Reynolds, I mean, he did have three catches on three targets for 68 yards. So that's kind of, uh, you know, what we see, we've seen from Swift at times. So there's certainly a nice pass catching role there. Okay. Anything else in this game you want to talk about? That was a 29, nothing win from the Patriots. So uh, you feel good wrapping this one up or uh, any last thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much all my thoughts. Yeah. I, I mean, the, I, yeah, again, just we're, we're on Bailey's Zappy watch up here and it it's, it's exciting. I'm I'm kind of like side eyeing the Mac Jones jersey hanging up in my room right now. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm gonna be real excited for you and y'all get a, a third round pick for Zappy next year or whatever. That's that's gonna be a great time. So just like Jimmy G all over again, right? Now we yeah. got you got more than that though for Jimmy G. What'd you get for him? A second? I think it was a second. What it at the time I remember not thinking it was enough. So <laughs> but I mean like yeah, look looking back on it, you know, what whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of pick. Jimmy G's worth, to be honest. I'm not sure if that's low or high. So we'll, we'll move on from that one because that's a whole other conversation. 
Okay, so let's get to the Browns-Chargers game. I did watch a good bit of this one as well. Uh, Chargers won 30-28 against the Browns. Really, Ryan, my main takeaway, and then you can ask me some follow-up questions, but this is the second straight week with the Browns where they have got locked into a game where uh, they could not stop the run and the other team could not stop their run, and it was just dominant performances on the ground all around. Last week was the Falcons. This week, the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers had the worst rushing game in the league, according to the announcers. They mentioned it over and over and over again during this broadcast. And Austin Eckler, 16 carries for 173 and a touchdown. Joshua Kelly, 10 carries for 49 and a touchdown. Like, they just ripped the Browns on the ground. So, uh, yeah, if you have a poor defense, run defense against the Browns, they're going to get you, and Nick Chubb certainly did. And if you have a good running game, you can get the Browns. So it's just kind of weird how two straight weeks here we've seen monster performances in the Browns game. Uh, They're just bringing back old school football here, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, maybe we owe even more apologies to Arthur Smith because I I would not have expected the Chargers to be able to run on the Browns with how difficult of a time they've had getting their run game going against anyone besides the Texans. So, yeah, yeah, definitely worth keeping in mind. what my eyes kind of go to in the box score is the basically even snap split between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, 35 snaps for Chubb, 33 for Hunt. I, I've seen some complaining on social media today that Nick Chubb is clearly so much better than Hunt and that he should just be playing 70 to 80% of the snaps. Like, it, do you think this is like a valid criticism? Like, do, do you think that the Browns are dumb to? have Kareem Hunt so involved or is this just kind of how their offense works and we shouldn't question it all that much? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you would have thought changed between this year and previous years. They've always operated the backfield like this. Even when one of them was hurt, we've seen, um, you know, uh, Dearness Johnson come in and get a big workload. So that this is just the way they're going to run this. And I mean, Kareem Hunt's a good player. So no, I don't think there's anything wrong with limiting Chubb snaps a bit um, to get you through the year. Now, when you lose a two-point game to drop to two and three, like I do get the argument. It's like, hey, this is a huge game we just lost, and maybe five extra runs from Chubb might have meant something. I mean, 17 for 134 and two touchdowns. Uh, he looked great. But Kareem Hunt, 11 for 47 and a touchdown. So it's not like um, we were we were talking about a true backup here coming in. So, no, I don't think you can complain about that. That's just the way this is, and Nick Chubb still had a monster game. So I – You've got to take this performance. This is exactly what you're hoping for. They hung in the game with the Chargers, and they they were able to run from start to finish. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. Like the, this is probably what we should have expected. I I will say Nick Chubb is is owning me so far this year. I think he's if he is if he's not the overall RB one right now, he's pretty close. Um, I, I'm sure he'll continue averaging like two touchdowns a game. That surely that's we i mean we talk about these players on on this unsustainable touchdown efficiency surely nick chubb will hold it yeah i mean you know 7.9 yards of carry tonight like yeah he's gotta do that for the year for sure so otherwise um i guess i'll stick with the browns offense just because we're there i felt bad for jacoby Brissett. he kind of had another game where he looked good he was operating the offense moving the ball downfield i mean Honestly, this offense looked about the same as the Chargers offense, which is hilarious, like both just moving the ball with a good running game and the quarterback was taking his chances when he could. Uh, Brissett had a really nice scramble late in the game. Uh, The Browns basically were in the spot where they could just run the ball and kick a field goal to win it and run out some clock. Um, He set it up with a nice scramble and then Man, he tried to, he was just, he was really feeling it. It was kind of like a heat check, I think, for Brissett. And he scrambled out the next play, fired one into coverage in the end zone and threw a really bad interception. So 
the Browns still had a chance to win this and missed a field goal farther away than what it would have been. But I felt bad for Brissett. He played good again, had them in a spot to win it, and he just was a little bit too confident on that last play. But otherwise, like David Njoku seems for real. I mean, he's super efficient, caught all six of his targets for 88 yards, but there aren't many tight ends that are as big of a part of the offense as he is. Um, Amari Cooper looked good. And even Donovan Peoples-Jones, seven targets, four for 50. Like those were the three clear pass catchers in this game. So um, I don't know. I I was encouraged by the passing game from the Browns. Uh, It was a shame to see him lose this one because they had several opportunities to win this one. Yeah. So now that we're talking about Jacoby Brissett and just making back-breaking errors like that, all, all I can think of is the fact that Bailey Zappi is our generation's Jacoby Brissett right now. This this might be this might be history repeating itself in a couple years from now. We're saying the same thing about Zappi on another team. But yeah, I mean, at least we'll have gotten that third round pick. Um, right. the, looking at the Chargers pass catchers, are are we just done playing anybody that isn't Mike Williams or Keenan Allen when he comes back? Like, I feel this is super anecdotal. I haven't watched like a full Chargers game yet this year, but it feels like all that Josh Palmer does is get targeted like around the end zone, but it's always balls that there he has no chance of catching. Like it's, it always like hits the defender in the back or something like, am I crazy or am I just being tortured by visions of Josh Palmer, (laughs) not reeling in touchdowns? I, I think that sounds pretty accurate. This passing game was pretty rough, honestly, like, Mike Williams, 10 catches on 13 targets for 134 yards. And there's nothing outside of that in this passing game. So yeah, it's, they're, they're thrown really short. It's hard to tell sometimes if that's all on Herbert or if it's the play design, but there's just no explosion. Like there's no downfield option. There's no yards after the catch. It's just like catch the ball, fall down, uh, check down to the running back for six yards. Like they keep the ball moving the entire time, but yeah, there was just nothing there for Palmer. Um, on, you know, deep balls. I mean, he had a long of nine yards on the day. So that tells you how Josh Palmer's day went. So yeah, there's nothing to excite me here other than the running backs and other than Mike Williams and even Williams, man, it's just all contested catch stuff. And it's, it's a difficult 10 for 134. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like uh, Justin Jefferson getting open for just big open spaces. Like Mike Williams earns every single one of those yards. So I am not real encouraged by this passing game right now. I know Keenan Allen coming back will help, but I just really think they need a, just a, a an athlete to just kind of back off defenses a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean that that's really not Keenan Allen's strength either. Like he yeah. he's the guy that's gonna get he's gonna get open underneath for six yards on every single play. But he yeah he's not exactly taking the top off of defenses. So yep. yeah, I mean, I mean maybe this is just what we expect from the Chargers. Um, it, it kills me too, though, because Justin Herbert had one of the most beautiful deep throws to what was it, Tyron Johnson just a week ago. Like, we, yeah. we know he's still capable of it. it. Like, it it's very clearly something that the Chargers should be trying to do at the very least. But I, yeah. I don't know. Wait, what yeah, do I know? I'm hesitant to rack it up to the rib injury either because he looked like Justin Herbert today. And they kind of operated their offense this way last year, too. So... I mean, it just kind of confirms everything we saw last year. So yeah, I, it's just a lot of stuff to the running backs and then, and then Mike Williams, um, even Gerald Everett disappeared in this one. I think we can probably lower him a little bit down our rankings. Um, he'll have his weeks, but if they're going to keep feeding so much work to Eckler and even Josh Kelly, to some extent like that, that's just another option in Gerald Everett's way. Yeah. Also worth remembering that Keenan Allen has only played one quarter this season too. So we could 
easily be seeing Gerald Everett disappear off the face of the earth once yeah. Allen's back. I it's a lot of similar kind of like down the seam type of targets. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I would be I'd be hesitant to play Everett once Allen's healthy. Yeah. And otherwise, it feels like it flip-flops every week, but it looked like it's Joshua Kelly's backfield behind Eckler this week. Played a healthy amount of snaps, was running routes, was getting the ball. And he actually, Joshua Kelly looked good. I mean, obviously the story is Austin Eckler, uh, 16 carries, 173 yards and a touchdown. Um, He also caught four for 26 and a touchdown. He looked great. He had a 71-yarder. He was breaking tackles. Like Eckler looks awesome. Um, You know, a little bit efficient on just 16 carries but still he looked good but joshua kelly looked good he was catching passes he was he was breaking tackles like i I think kelly's probably worth handcuffing at this point we've lost a lot of good handcuffs this late in the year we're kind of running out of exciting waiver options so i don't know i I think i'd throw kelly on some benches where i have an extra spot because um he he got a nice workload today and they just don't have options other than the running backs and mike williams right now yeah, I'd agree. It's it seems like Kelly's the clear number two here. Um, the only other thing I want to point out though with in this backfield is the goal line usage has not actually changed from what it was when we were really frustrated early in the season. There were still three goal line opportunities for the Chargers in this one, and Sony Michelle got two and Josh Kelly got one. So it it's I don't know if we're gonna see Austin Eckler like reclaim his red zone role. I mean, obviously he's been running hot on touchdowns because he's been busting off big plays these last couple of weeks. And he's the type of player that can do that. But I, I don't know that his outlook is actually all that different than it was when we were all complaining three weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I would wrap this up by saying the chargers are still the chargers. Uh, they, <laughs> there are a few things. I, I think it was a fourth and one where they, gave a handoff to the uh, fullback Xander Horvath on the old fullback dive where they got stuffed and turned it over on downs. You just love to see that on fourth and ones. It really helps uh, our case for going for it and being aggressive when you run horrible plays like that. And then at the end, they were aggressive again. Uh, They went for it on fourth down, basically gave the Browns the ball right back in field goal range at the very end of the game. Browns were only down two and the Browns missed a 54 yarder. Uh, Their their rookie kicker uh, York missed a couple in this game. So um, if not for <laughs> the missed kick from Kate York, this would be probably fourth down decision-making like analysis like you've never seen this week uh, looking into Brandon Staley. So I'm kind of glad the Chargers won just so we don't have to have that talk all week. See, that's the whole point too, is we probably should be having that talk, but because they won, we're not. Like that. that's <laughs> all that this is, is it's completely results-based of what how this discourse is set Um but no, I, I think Brandon Staley honestly might just be a psyop. Like he he was planted <laughs> to try to set back analytics like five years because yeah, it's it's pretty rough when he's like the most outspoken advocate of being aggressive on fourth down for an entire season and then draws up plays like the, the fullback dive to Xander Horvath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, uh, you know, both teams held the ball about the same amount of time, uh, 465 total yards for the Chargers, 443 for the Browns. Like I I'm telling you, this was like a super tight matchup. These teams look very similar and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for each other. Like, I I don't know if you want to be like the Chargers and Browns or not. I'm I'm a little bit at a loss here. Yep. Yeah. I it's, it's weird this time of year in the NFL because 
comparing teams like that, you never know if it's like an insult or a compliment. Like I, I think I said that about the, I think I said that the Packers are basically the Patriots with a hall of fame quarterback last week. And I, I still don't know, like the Packers could be, I obviously didn't have a great day today, but the, the way this roster is built, like they're in contention for the yeah. NFC title with how the, with how the NFC is shaping up. So yeah, it's just these comparisons and then to the two and three Patriots are just, yeah, it, it's interesting to wrap your mind around. All right. Well, I think that's our recap from the games we watched today. Again, go to the website, check out more in-depth on all the games. Um, we got some really good stuff in there. You can read my uh, my Jaguars Texans right up in there too. Just uh, if you need to hear more about that 13 to six battle, uh, please check it out. So um, otherwise, let's get to the Monday Night Football preview. Quick sit-start segment here, Ryan. Uh, we got Chiefs and Raiders. Should be a fun one. So uh, if you have some tough decisions heading into Monday night, where, where are you starting here? Yeah, so I, the first thing I need to make sure I say before we even get into real sit-start decisions here is you need to go stash Sky more on your roster right now. If you're in a league where you can cut somebody that's already played to get an extra roster spot or what, whatever it might be. If you, you have someone on your bench that you have no hope for, go see if Sky Moore is available. He ran 11 routes last week. Seems like he's trending up, finally seeing some actual playing time on offense. Uh, just a reminder, like his draft profile was really, really good. He was very dominant in college. He's an early declare from a small school that has a really good track record historically. I, so yeah, I, I would like to have him on my roster heading into this game just to see what happens. It, it was kind of a similar thing with Khalil Shakir today, and he ended up catching a touchdown and seeing some targets. So uh, just these little micro edges that you can get by stashing players before, um, especially before like these single primetime games. Yeah, and especially this guy Moore, I think we always kind of knew this was going to be slow. He just had so many veterans to fight through ahead of him on the depth chart, so uh, I don't think it's necessarily a knock on him that we haven't seen a lot of him yet. This is kind of how we thought it would go. So I, I'm right on board. I He's one of those players. I feel like he's on my taxi squad in some leagues. It's like he's on and off my roster every week. And one of these weeks, it's going to hit Ryan, I swear. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's looking at these veteran receivers in front of him. It's not like any of them have done all that much to secure their own roles or to like fend sky more off. Um, so I guess that's a good place to start with some of these sit start dilemmas is I don't know how to differentiate between Juju, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Michael Hardman. Uh, I, if, when we look at the oppo metric, uh, it's been 10.6 oppo per game for both Juju and MVS this year. MVS has been underperforming that by quite a lot. He's been very inefficient. Uh, he's got negative 3.2 oppo per game from what you would expect. Uh, Michael Harmon's down at 6.5 oppo per game. So I, I don't think he's anywhere on the starting radar. So yeah, the, as I said, this is kind of like, we're, we're really hoping for Sky Moore to come in here and make, make something happen in this receiving core. Yeah. It's hard for me to get excited at all about any of these guys. We've just seen so many of these receivers, both for the chiefs and then MVS with the Packers, just kind of these empty, empty air yards, like empty routes. Like, yeah. It's, it's Juju and, Travis Kelsey and hopefully Sky Moore someday. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think I've said this before too. MVS isn't even getting like his empty air yards. He's not even getting targeted that deeply down the field. So I, I don't even know that there's that much upside with him. And that, I mean, that kind of shows in the sit start range outcomes tool. I 
put Marquez Valdez Scantling and Matt Collins in together. Uh, so the break even point is at 13.4 fantasy points, where the tool thinks that MVS ha- gives you a better chance of under 13 fantasy points. And Matt Collins actually narrowly has the better ceiling if you need more than 13. Um, I mean, that's obviously because we've seen a couple of blowups from Matt Collins this year already. Um, but I, I don't think that his target volume is as locked in as MVS's is. I, I would say MVS is like a very good bet for like five, six targets, whereas Hollins could, could see two and it wouldn't surprise me. So I, I think that's a decent way to think about it is it, MVS is a floor play now in 2022. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Well, yeah. What do you think about, you mentioned Mac Collins. Uh, Renfro looks like he's going to play. So what's that situation looking like to you this week? Is it a, a void or do you think there's some maybe hidden value here? Yeah, I, w- I don't know if I'd call it hidden value because hidden implies that I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, so I'm not excited about it, but I, I do think Renfro is in play as like a low end flex. Um in PPR, he's averaged 11.5 oppo per game so far uh, compared to Mac Holland's 10.4 oppo per game. Uh, so, I mean, and Hollins did a lot of that when it wasn't Renfro on the field competing with him for targets. It was Keelan Cole in the slot just ru- running wind sprints, um, z- zero targets for Keelan Cole last game despite running most of the routes. So I, I think that just with the history of Renfro especially last year being somewhat of a target magnet. I, I would bet on him to put up some production more so than Matt Collins. I, I, Devontae Adams is obviously like the, the target black hole that is just sucking in all of the footballs and preventing anybody else from producing in most of these games. So uh, yeah, not, not high expectations for either, but if I would lean Renfro. Okay. Any last thoughts on this Monday night or is that pretty much wrap up the tough decisions this week? It pretty much wraps it up. I mean, the backfields are surprisingly pretty clear right now. Like you're you're starting Josh Jacobs and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I guess you're sticking him in your lineup and seeing if he can keep it up. Because I I mean, just the utilization for McKinnon or for Pacheco is not enough to where you're actually considering them over either CEH or Jacobs. So yeah, Yeah. just got kind of linear. If, If you have either of those guys, you play them. All right. Well, yeah, sounds great. Um, again, just check out the website for the full what we saw right up. We've got sit start tool. We've got the oppo metric, uh, all kinds of good stuff to help you with decisions. So we'll be here all year kind of going through those, giving you the quick takeaways. But yeah, otherwise, I think it was um, a little more fun of a week. I, we got to be a little more upbeat today, Ryan. So um, maybe not as many massive injuries as last week. So you always got to cross your fingers, but it uh, looks like for the most part, we're in good shape. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we got our waiver wire podcast coming out here in a day or two. Um, we'll be back for sit start as always. Um, until then, enjoy the rest of week five's games.